Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. So Matthew 24, verses 45 to 51. Um, If you're using the church Bibles, it's on page 748. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away for a long time, and he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. um, Before Stephen comes up, um, just want to pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Um, And I pray that you just open our ears and our hearts to receive more of your word in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Uh, It's very rare that you find a person that's good at waiting. I'm not good at waiting. I wonder how many of you would say you're good at waiting. Uh, Waiting is hard, waiting in traffic, waiting in the queue for the doctor's appointment, waiting for your exam results, because your exam results are going to tell you what happens next in your life. Waiting for the holiday. No one likes waiting for a holiday. It's coming around and it's not quite coming around quick enough. Waiting for a wedding day. Waiting for different days. The parable, this, uh, the question this parable asks is how good are you at waiting for the final day of history? And more precise, how faithful and fruitful will you be during the now and the season between now and the return of Christ? Well, think of it this way. Every sports person knows that pre-season training is vital. You're waiting for the season to start, and the temptation is, I'll just give it another week before I, I go out and do the running. I'll just give it one more week. I'll, I'm sure I'll be okay. I'm young, you know, something like that. And what happens when the first day of the season comes around? You are revealed to be out of shape. You didn't use the waiting time well, and it's caught up with you. And so the first day of the season is a day of evaluation and rewards and punishment. Evaluation, what shape are you in? Everyone finds that, including yourself. There's there's nowhere to hide on a pitch. And secondly, rewards or or punishment, reward of being able to enjoy the first game because you're not just panting all the time, or punishment, the sense of you're just falling behind in the game. Or think of the girl waiting for her piano exam. It's two or three weeks away. She's waiting. She can practice and practice and practice, and as long as the nerves don't get on top of her, she'll be fine because she used the waiting Well, but if she doesn't practice, she thinks she'll be okay. Then what happens on the day of the exam? She's revealed as not being good enough and not practiced enough. She's evaluated and there's a reward and a punishment. This parable of Jesus is about how we will wait for him on the day of his return. Last week, Matthew took us through the parable of the nocturnal thief. And Jesus says, you must keep watch and be ready. And we must wait well. Well, today we learn what it means to wait well for the day of evaluation and the day of reward and punishment. And the parable warns us not to fall into foolish and harmful thinking, thinking it'll be okay. I don't need to consider that day. 
The parable says, no, you need to prepare for that day. So what does it mean to wait well for the final day of history? It means being about the master's business. That's what waiting well means, being about the master's business. Now, in the parable, I had made the mistake for years and years and years and years until I prepared this passage two weeks ago. I always thought there was two servants, the wise one and the wicked one, but there's not two servants, there's one servant. Firstly, the servant acts faithfully and wise, but then verse 48 and verse 50, that same servant acts wickedly. In other words, there's a great danger for followers of Jesus to start well. You're initially converted to Christ and you're about the master's business. You're excited for Jesus and you want to serve him and you want to know him and what he, what he wants for your life. But after starting well and being about the master's business, you do not wait well. And as time goes on, the zeal, the passion, the intentionality of following Christ, it wanes. You start well, but you don't wait well. You start wise but you end up wicked. The parable is a warning. But even more specifically, Jesus' parable is aimed at Christian leaders. He's speaking to his disciples in this parable. And just before Matthew 24 and 25, he gives a stinging critique of Israel's leaders in Matthew 23. He accuses them of being hypocrites, blind guides, whitewashed tombs, a brood of vipers. He continually says they're hypocrites. They live and they speak, but their lives and their actions don't match up. And Matthew 23 is the harshest teaching anywhere in the Gospels by Jesus, and it comes against the Jewish leaders who are hypocritical, and they've abused their positions of power, and they were judged for it. In other words, the Jews were waiting and waiting and waiting for what? Their Messiah. They've been waiting 400 years since Malachi, the last prophet. They've been 400 years of silence. And as that song we sang, they've been the words that ushered his presence. They've been waiting for thousands of years. And then the Messiah came and they were evaluated as having not waited well. And when Jesus comes in a way, at a time, in a manner that they did not expect or foresee, when they face him, they are judged. They are evaluated as what? Hypocrites? and they are not rewarded but condemned. They've been exposed. And I'm sure in Matthew 23, there was lots of gnashing of teeth after Jesus' stinging critique. And so Jesus says to all of the church, followers of Jesus, and to leaders in particular, this is a picture of my second coming. I will return. And many of my servants, like the Israelite leaders, will be exposed as what? Verse 51 he will, assign the, he, he will cut them to pieces and assign them in a place with the hypocrites. Those that said they followed Christ, but lived in a different way. And they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this parable is not for the world out there and all its wickedness. This parable is not for non-believers. This parable is for believers, for every Christian, and particularly every Christian leader. One day, you will be evaluated. And one day, there will be rewards or punishment. So let's look at the two options and consider how we can wait well. And then I'm going to consider how this teaching complements the doctrine of salvation by grace and the doctrine of Christian assurance that we can be assured for the day when Christ returns. So option one, waiting well, the faithful and wise servant. Who then? It's a question. It's an invitation. It's a challenge. Who then? 
Is the faithful and wise servant who the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time. In other words, will you and I be this kind? Who then? Will you be this kind of a servant? And where is the servant? Is the servant looking up at the sky, trying to understand? Is the master about to return? What do the stars say? Caught in speculation and endless discussion about the master's return? No. The focus in looking for the return of Christ is not in the sky. It is where? At the table giving food to the household. Dale Bruner, a commentator I really admire and, and, and have appreciated on, the, on Matthew, says, isn't it surprising that Jesus does not say, blessed is the servant who when the, Lord's co- the Lord comes is found in prayer, Bible study, and religious exercises. No, he finds his servant feeding his household in season. This is how Jesus wants his people to wait and watch for his coming. It is not the person looking up to heaven for the returning Lord who is blessed. It is the person looking down in his household in warm service. Jesus' parable on how to wait for Christ's coming then surprisingly does not deflect us from this world, but calls us to more faithful service of it. We are servants in a household. Each of us has been given different households to nourish and to feed. There is our immediate families. There is the church family. There is the wider circle of influence of friends and connections and colleagues and neighbours. And there is the role we play in life as a student or a worker or a mum or, or a dad or whatever else. The household means that whilst, yes, we have a job to do, I am a father of children, I'm a husband of a wife, I'm a pastor of a church, I have a job to do, but it's more than a job, isn't it? It's a household. It's a wonderful responsibility. It is a delightful duty. I get to be the servant in this household. So each of us has been entrusted with different households, different spheres of influence, different time, talents, and treasures. To be faithful is to be loyal and trustworthy and true to the household you've been given and respecting the Lord's mandate by not going beyond your household, but concentrating on the one he has given you. Lord, here are my time. Here is my talent. Here is my treasures. Here are the people you've given me to serve in my life. Here's my family, my friends, my church family. Here's my role in society. I want to play that role well and be loyal and trustworthy and true. It's easy, isn't it, to wish that God had given you a different household. It's easy easy to wish he'd given you a bigger lot and a bigger portion. More influence, more power, a bigger household, family, career. You want to have more than what the master has chosen to give you. And therefore you're not being faithful with what you have been given because you're thinking about the one that you'd like to. It's very easy to wish, isn't it? That it it's easy to feel frustrated or overlooked by God. I want a bigger part in God's play. I want a bigger goal, a role in God's team. I want a higher promotion in God's company. I want a bigger household. In other words, you're saying to God, I'm not satisfied with the life you've given me. I want another one. The danger of wanting another household is it stops us being about the master's business in the one he has given us. Envy, comparison, complaining, grumbling stops us waiting well. The parable tells us the master wants us to be faithful in our household. Don't try and push beyond what God has given you. But... Don't be disheartened. You want a bigger household? You want a promotion? You want a greater sphere of influence and authority? Well, look at the reward in verse 47. 
Verse 46 says this. It'll be good for that servant who finds, uh, whose master finds him doing what uh, finds him doing. So when he returns, truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. One day, you and I are going to have a household far bigger than any of us could ever have imagined. The master's household and all his possessions, the new heavens and the new earth, will be the servants. They'll be ours. We will co-rule with God in the new heavens and the new earth. A few verses later, we'll look at this passage after the What's the Story series. We're going to look at that famous parable where Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. What I gave you, I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share the master's happiness. One day, the master's household will be your household. Bruner again says, Jesus challenges you and me to refocus our ambitions from tiny, short-lived, temporal goals to large, long-lasting, eternal ones by giving themselves faithfully to their perhaps now seemingly tiny responsibilities. The promises of great advancement and eternal promotion lie within our grasp in our present duties. If we'll give ourselves creatively now to whatever little household he has given us, Jesus promises we'll be given an almost universal responsibility, all his possessions. And notice something else here. The Lord's end-time rewards for responsible service are what, relaxing in heavenly riches? No. A mansion in the sky with a pool that we just get to lounge in? No. An eternal rest where we just sing praises in, on clouds or something all day long? Or pursue pleasurable experiences forever? No. The Lord's end-time rewards for responsible service is greater service. He'll put you in charge of all his possessions. The footballer who trains hard in pre-season is rewarded with what? The ability to play football well. The girl who practices her piano so she can pass her exam is rewarded with what? Not just passing the exam, but playing better piano and enjoying her piano. The service and the reward are one and the same. They follow each other. It's more of the same and with greater joy. The reward and the service are intrinsic to one another. We've often been taught that heavenly rewards is heavenly rest. Jesus says heavenly reward is heavenly responsibility. Let me bring this home to you. The other day, Annabelle and I, it's my daughter, she's 11, were talking about how the earth is not in a good place. Humanity has not stewarded the household God gave them, us, very well. Wildfires all over Europe, flooding in Pakistan, climate change, and particularly dear to Annabelle's heart, is endangered animals. Our treatment of the planet has not been good. We have not been wise and faithful servants, and we are now reaping the consequences. And Annabelle was wishing that she could take care of the endangered animals. And I said, ah, but wait, until the new heavens and the new earth, and you will have the world you want, Annabelle. And Annabelle is always rather astute. And she said, Dad, do you think God will give us a role in caring for the planet, or will we just receive a perfect planet from him? Huh. Good question. Well, we were to tend the original garden and make it more fruitful and beautiful and expand it, it makes sense that we're going to tend the new heavens and the new earth and co-reign with God on the earth. It's not just going to be handed to us. We're going to have a role. And so Annabelle says to me, I'd like to tend the tigers. 
And she will. She will. And so will you. Whatever you would love to do on this earth that you don't get to do, in the ser- you will. You'll tend tigers one day. You will. The earth will be our household. However small our household feels now, don't get distracted, don't envy, don't overreach. Be faithful. One day the whole earth will be yours. Wait well, serve the master in your studies, in your family, in your relationships, with your intellect, with your money, with your talents. How can I use these now? I can't do everything. What can I do? What's my household? Get about the master's business now. That's how you wait well. Well, what about option two? The person that claims to be a Christian starts well. Yeah, I had a conversion experience. I once said that I followed Jesus, but has not waited well and therefore doesn't finish well. Let's look at option two, waiting badly, the wicked servants. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time, and he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. So the master delays. For a variety of reasons, the servants do not know. And we too do not know why the Lord does not return. When we consider the war in Ukraine, the burning and melting planet that we now have, the rising cost of living, and a whole other host of evils and trials that we hear about every day and that we experience, we might go, Lord, why haven't you returned to redeem the earth? It's not ours to know. That's the master's business, and we're the servants the time and the date of his return, and the reasons for his delay are his. Matthew looked at that last time. Not even the son knows, only the father knows when that date is. We are called to be faithful servants as we wait, but delay can breed bad behavior. No one appears to be in charge. And the servants are doing their own thing, and the baser passions are given free reign. Loss of faith in Christ's return is always followed by some kind of violence in interpersonal relations and laxity in morality. We can get away with anything. And so we should. We should push beyond our household. We should get ahead. We should make a life for ourselves. We should grab more. We should take the power, take the pleasure. We should beat fellow servants and get eating and drinking with drunkards, as Jesus says. What Jesus depicts here is a presumptuous exchange of roles. The servant is playing master, beating others up, parting, pretending that he is Lord over the other servants, when in fact he's just a fellow servant. Now you might think, well, Steve, I don't beat people up. That doesn't describe me. What did Jesus say 19 chapters before in the Sermon on the Mount? If you look at a brother or sister, and in your heart you are angry with them in an unrighteous reason, you belittle them, you look down on them, you have the same murderous heart. When you spite someone, give someone the cold shoulder, it's tantamount to murder, Jesus says, because the same heart is beneath the action. In other words, we can be just as harsh as the servants in this story with our words and our attitudes, and at times our fists, if our anger is not brought under control. This is a call to godliness, while we wait, to self-discipline, to compassion, to love, to restraint, to forgiveness. St. Augustine in his confession put it like this, Lord, make me holy, but not yet. Beware the temptation to say, I'll deal with my anger. I'll deal with my lack of self-control. 
I'll deal with my hedonistic behavior. I'll deal with my grabbing of power. I'll deal with my lazy cowardice. I'll deal with that another day. The parable says, Lord, make me holy and make it now. The parable really does ask that famous question. If you knew that Jesus was returning now, would you live differently? And the parable says, well, you shouldn't. Don't be a hypocrite. Live the way you would live if Jesus was returning today in holiness and faithful and wise service of whatever household God has given and provided for you. But remember, this parable has a particular application to Christian leaders. Christian leaders and church members are to feed God's household how? With the word of God. This is how we are nourished and, and, and strengthened and fed until Christ comes and, and Christian leaders have a role in preaching and teaching and discipling with God's words so that the household of God is cared for. But it's easy for church leaders to want a bigger church and more influence. And that's ego speaking, not the glory of God. Leaders can abuse their position of power. Leaders can grab for more than what was theirs. Leaders can exploit the family of God. Israel's leaders in Ezekiel 34, similar to Matthew 23, failed to care for the flock. They abused their positions of power to satisfy themselves. And isn't it so sad that one of the most trending podcasts of the last 12 months has been about this? And you will know a story closer to home than that of a church leader who's grabbed more than they should have done and has not been faithful in feeding God's household. Craig Keener says this, ministers who exploit the flock for their own interest will be damned. Jesus loves the people they're exploiting. Ministers who use churches merely as a stepping stone for personal ambition, who are more interested in preserving their wages and fulfilling their calling, could discover on the day of judgment that they will not spend eternity with the Lord they have proclaimed. It's a sobering message for me and for anyone in any role of leadership. We badly need to hear it in our day, as many leaders are abusing their power. In other words, leaders must not play God. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 4, we are fellow servants in the household too. Jesus said this, didn't he? Famously in, in Luke 12, for everyone who's been given much, you've been given a big house, you've been given a big brain, you've been given a big sphere of influence, you've been given lots of money. If you've been given much, well, much will be demanded. And from the one who's been entrusted with much, if God has given you a role and a sphere, and a, well, you're going to be, much will be asked. Or for, for Christian leaders, James 3, not many of you should presume to become teachers and feed God's people with, with God's word, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. This is a warning to us all to keep our station and remember the house our God has given us. And as ever, Jesus never, ever, ever softens the reality of judgment. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and an hour he is not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Many people throughout history have tried to soften these verses, the chopping up of judgment. Some Bible translations actually do do that. But Jesus used this type of brutal language because he wanted to be clear with his abhorrence of those in this life that brutalize others. If you kill people, rape people, sexually molest people, especially children, 
this passage is a grave warning of the horrors of judgment coming your way. Just as you brutalized others, so you will be brutalized. The day of judgment is a wonderful assurance for our world. It satisfies a deep inner sense of justice we have. Everyone who abused their position of power will be held to account. Whether King Herod in Jesus' day who killed thousands of Jewish boys or Hitler who killed millions of Jews or Idi Amin who butchered thousands of Ugandans when my parents lived there where I was born and died in a mansion with a swimming pool of old age or President Putin who is currently killing and decimating cities and families and people and ruining their lives. Or every church leader who has abused a child. Or every man who has used his physical strength to rape a woman. The day of judgment says, justice will be done, it will be seen to be done, and all wrongs will be righted. But one final comment about the way Jesus describes judgment, lest we point the finger at the obvious ones out there. The master of that servant. Every person in history will be asked to give an account to their master. And who is their master? Jesus. Everyone will be given a fair and personal trial. Everyone will look Jesus in the face and give an account. There will be no miscarriage of justice. There will be no mystery. There will be no misunderstanding. Every mouth will be silenced in the court of heaven. It will be clear and it will be painfully or wonderfully personal. Individual destiny is bound up in our response to the master. Paul says in Romans 14, it is to our master that we stand or fall. So he says, stop judging one another. You all have one master. This is about living for the audience of one in all we do. So question one, does this mean we're saved by works? No, of course not. This parable assumes that we've already responded in faith to Christ and calls us to live out this faith. The good works are not the grounds of your salvation, but the evidence of it. The life of holiness does not make you worthy of God's acceptance. It it is a grateful response that God has counted you worthy in Christ. It is by grace we've been saved through faith alone, but that faith is never alone. Martin Luther, the most famous preacher on justification by faith alone in his preface to the commentary of Romans said this, oh it is a living busy active thing this faith, it is impossible for it not to be doing good works incessantly, it does not ask whether good works are to be done but before the question is asked it has already done them and is constantly doing them, whoever does not do such works however is an unbeliever. The works evidence of our faith Does this mean we should doubt, second question, does this mean we should doubt our salvation or lack assurance for the day of judgment? No, we can be assured that if we're trusting in Jesus and living the life he's called us to live and being faithful to the places he's called us to serve, we can have assurance. This parable should give us assurance. I'm being about my master's business with a clear conscience. But it does warn us against false assurance. I once made a profession for Christ and that'll be good enough on the day of... Be careful. You can start well and not wait well and therefore not finish well. Bruno, for one last time, in short, believers must take a hard look at themselves to see whether they really do believe 
as believing is evidenced in quite simply doing God's will as Jesus has taught so clearly. So may the day of judgment motivate us towards love and good works. May we, we be ready for his return because we're about his business. May we be spurred into action and evangelism as we consider our households and our spheres of influence. Paul says to the Colossian church, make the most of every opportunity when sharing the gospel with those that don't know Christ. Or to the Ephesian church, he says, let's be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Let's not be foolish. As Christians, let's consider our lives, our hobbies, our roles, our education, our homes, our friends, our dress, everything, and be wise. Take time to consider these things. Am I serving the master well in the time he's given me? Making the most of the time. Time is passing. The world is full of evil. So don't squander the one life you do have. Let's wait well by being about the master's business. One quote to finish from the book of 2 Peter. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise of returning, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, his return, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience in his return means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. Let's wait well. Let's start well, but wait well so we can finish well. What does that mean? Be about the master's business in the household he's given you. Amen. Will you stand? I'm going to just take a moment for us to be still and quiet and consider our own lives, and then I'll pray for us. Just take a minute to consider the households that you've been given. The family, the friends, the connections, the intellect, the time, the treasures, the talents. And just commit again to using them for the Lord. And, and just take a moment to say sorry where you often want another household than the one that God has given you. Just take a moment to recommit yourself to your master. Father, you know all of our lives, you know all of our hearts. You know when each of us is a hypocrite, when we say one thing with our lips, but our lives don't match up. And for those areas of our life, we again ask for your forgiveness. We thank you that we are cleansed by the blood of Christ. We thank you, Lord, that there is no condemnation for those in Christ. And this message should not leave us with a sense of condemnation, but it should leave us with self-examination. So we pray for each of us in the different ways you've prompted and prodded us as we've reflected on this passage that we might consider what it is to be the wise and faithful servant who's acting faithfully 
and creatively and urgently in the household you have given us now. Forgive us for when we want another household, we want other things, we, we want other spheres of influence and help us to be about your business. We thank you for that great promise of eternal responsibility we'll one day have with you. And we thank you, Lord, that the day of judgment and your justice coming is good news that this world and all the evil within it will one day find a, a wholesome consummation when you return. So, Lord, help us to wait well by being about your business. Help us this week as we go from here to consider these things in our daily lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.